Welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is John Gums. I am a professor of pharmacy and medicine and associate dean for clinical and administrative affairs at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for pharmacotherapy. Today, we have Dr. Nick Karras and Dr. Radha Patel with us. They and their co-authors published a paper in pharmacotherapy over a year ago titled EPA-Registered Repellents for Mosquitoes Transmitting Emerging Viral Disease. However, we're talking with them today to get an update because summer and mosquitoes are right around the corner. Dr. Karras is an assistant professor of pharmacy practice at University of South Florida College of Pharmacy, and Dr. Patel was an assistant professor of pharmacotherapeutics and clinical research at the University of South Florida when the paper was published, but is now manager of pharmacy quality initiatives at WellCare Health Plan. She also holds a volunteer faculty appointment with the College of Pharmacy. Doctors Patel and Karras, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Gums. Appreciate you having us on. And I'd like to first thank all of our co-authors, uh, Christy Shair, Pooja Patel, Aleski Gramanza, Starwickham, uh, Rachel Franks, and Olivia Payne. Um, and, you know, our department chair who supported this effort, and there was a huge effort also from our, uh, our librarians filled dozens of interlibrary loan requests. And I, I want to bring it up because one of the papers was even from the 80s, and it was only written in Thai. And, uh, you know, we had lots of international publications because, you know, mosquitoes are certainly a, a global issue. And so we didn't want to exclude any of those types of data, and we had, you know, papers translated in French, Spanish, Chinese, Thai, Russian, Polish, and uh, and also Dr. Devon, who, uh, you know, as editor-in-chief, communicated with us uh, about this paper, and also the fantastic peer reviewers that really helped make the manuscript stronger. Well, thank you, Dr. Karras. Why don't we start with you? Why did you write the manuscript on mosquito repellents, and what did you find? Well, this this idea started in February of 2016, right as uh, Zika started showing up in more places. And there were some CDC recommendations and quite a few very good ones. And uh, there's also already existing uh, analysis on, you know, repellent safety, you know, DEET. But there was less data on effectiveness, uh, particularly as it related to some of the slightly more natural products and uh, – you know, we frequently run into patients that are interested in natural options. And so we wanted to complete uh, a systematic review to look at how these mosquito repellents would work uh, with particular interest in the Aedes aegypti and Aedes albopictus uh, mosquitoes, which are, you know, responsible for transmitting the Zika virus. And, you know, it certainly you know, important vectors for us to be concerned about the bite during the day or night. But in short, you know, what we found, you know, really lined up with what the uh, the CDC has been recommending. Uh, so EPA registered mosquito repellents, you know, ones for that are safe for, you know, pregnant women, breastfeeding women. And, uh, you know, the ones that we found um, to be most beneficial appeared to be DEET, picaridin, and IR3535. And the CDC also has recommendations for oil of lemon eucalyptus, paramenthane diol, and 2-undecanone. Um, 
And those are all reasonable options. Um, you know, we, we found slightly less data uh, to support the oil of, lemon, uh, oil of lemon eucalyptus or paramenthane diol, uh, and we found less data for the two on decanone. Uh, but, you know, any of those EPA registered mosquito repellents are, are certainly reasonable options. So you mentioned the CDC. What specifically has the CDC been recommending for mosquito repellents? Well, like I mentioned, for mosquito repellents, definitely, you know, for, for most people, DEET, you know, with a concentration of at least 20% is going to be, you know, one of the first things that should be considered in terms of using or, or picking a mosquito repellent. Uh, the the picaridin also, uh, also at least 20%. Same thing with the IR3535, uh, you know, at least 20%. Um, but the CDC, you know, has other recommendations. And so anyone that this is, you know, really pertaining to uh, really should go check out cdc.gov slash Zika. Uh, there is a wealth of information for providers and for patients, and they have handouts in English and Spanish. Uh, but the CDC is really big on, you know, doing everything you can to prevent uh, mosquito bites. And so obviously, that includes, you know, the EPA registered mosquito repellents, um, long sleeve shirts and long pants. And, and there are some places where that can be you know, hard. I know it gets hot and humid in Florida, but if we're really trying to prevent mosquito repellents, that you know that helps. Um, staying in places with air conditioning, uh, you know, windows and door screens, um, and a big one is removing standing water. And so, you know, the CDC recommends this be done at least weekly, um, at least. Um, and standing water. When you look at what that means, that could be even as little bit of water as, you know, what could fit in, you know, an upside down bottle cap. So, you know, really important to remove standing water. That's where the mosquitoes prefer to lay their eggs. Um, and then another option that, that can be used with this is the uh, permethrin treated clothing or gear. Um, and if you have gear or clothing that's not permethrin treated, uh, you can also buy sprays to actually treat the clothing with. Dr. Karras, what else is the CDC recommending? So related to the, the research, you know, that, that we completed, really, you know, just an emphasis on the consistent use of the mosquito repellents um, and, you know, using them correctly, following the product label, uh, because <clears throat> without you know, the, the proper use, the consistent use, the reapplication, application with regard to sunscreen, if you're doing that as well, uh, you're not going to get the uh, effect desired. Dr. Patel, where can pharmacists and patients find the most up-to-date Zika travel guidance? The CDC website is probably the most up-to-date and reliable resource pharmacists, patients, and other healthcare providers have available about the Zika virus. The website is updated frequently with the most up-to-date surveillance data. The World Health Organization website is also another great resource, which provides statistics about the Zika virus in all the different countries. Both websites also provide travel tips for travelers planning to visit any of the Zika-prone areas. For the most part, areas with known Zika include Mexico and countries within Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Central, and South America. It's also important to note that there are some parts of the U.S. mainland that has also reported local transmission of the Zika virus. 
Therefore, travelers traveling outside of the U.S. and within the U.S. should consult the CDC website for the most up-to-date information as there may be ongoing changes about the Zika virus within the U.S., especially as we begin to approach the summer months. Thank you. What kind of travelers should be cautious about traveling to areas with risk of Zika? Generally speaking, all travelers should exercise caution when traveling to Zika-prone areas. The main concern is for pregnant women or women trying to conceive. The Zika virus is known to cause a birth defect in the fetus known as microcephaly. Microcephaly is characterized by smaller heads, which prevents the brain from growing properly, which can lead to developmental challenges early in life or later on in life. For pregnant women or women who happen to travel to Zika-prone areas, it is recommended that they use protection and avoid trying to conceive for up to six months after completing travel. This is also recommended for couples that are not trying to conceive because of the potential risk for an unplanned pregnancy. The reason for the, this recommendation of using protection for up to six months is because the Zika virus can live in women for up to two months and live in men's semen for up to six months. That's extremely interesting. If, if traveling to a Zika-prone area, what kind of precautions should travelers take? That's a great question. Currently, there is no vaccine available against the Zika virus. Therefore, the best precaution for travelers who are visiting any of the Zika-prone areas is to use an EPA-registered repellent of the right concentration, such as DEET 20%. If using sunscreen, it's important to apply the repellent after the sunscreen. Travelers should follow the directions in the back of the repellent product for application and reapplication information. Travelers could, may also consider using long sleeve shirts and long pants, which can also help to prevent mosquito bites and potentially the transmission of the Zika virus. For travelers who anticipate prolonged exposure to mosquitoes, they may consider using permethrin-treated clothing. Other precautions include sleeping in screened-in and air-conditioned areas, cleaning out any standing waters as these could be a breeding site for mosquitoes, as Dr. Karras mentioned earlier, and also, as I mentioned earlier, using condoms during travel and for up to six months after completing travel. Another important precaution for travelers once they return is to con continue to use repellent for up to three weeks after completing travel to help prevent spreading the Zika virus to an uninfected mosquito, which could then potentially spread it to other people. That's great recommendations. I guess finally then, Dr. Patel, Tell our listeners, what are the typical symptoms associated with Zika? The symptoms of the Zika virus are nonspecific and include symptoms such as fever, rash, headache, myalgia, arthralgia, or conjunctivitis. Symptoms can last anywhere between two to seven days and are typically self-limiting and rarely will require any medical treatment. Some people may experience no symptoms at all. The, again, the concern is going to be for women who are pregnant who present with symptoms and who may have had a recent travel to a Zika-prone area or has had intercourse with anyone with recent travel to a Zika area. These patients should consult their doctor immediately. Diagnosis is usually based on symptoms and recent travel history. There is also a blood test that can confirm the Zika virus in the blood. However, this test is not always reliable and may cross-react with other mosquito-borne illnesses. A rapid point-of-care testing for the diagnosis of Zika is 
is currently a high priority area for Zika related research, as is the Zika vaccine. So we hope to be hearing more about this in the near future. Well, thank you very much. Radha and Nick, we think our listeners will find this information very helpful. Thank you both for your time, your original contribution to pharmacotherapy, and the update you provided for us today. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.